Today I'm chatting with Colin Curtis, Managing Director of Support the Goals, an initiative to rate and recognise the businesses that support the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Colin's worked as the Group Head of Sustainability for one of the world's largest technology companies, and he spent many years helping business leaders to understand the importance of balancing people, planet and profit. He describes himself as a straight-talking Northern Englishman who prides himself on his ability to keep things simple and honest. Colin lives and breathes the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and it's what we talk about on today's call, hopefully demystifying what they're all about. I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Colin Curtis. Afternoon, Colin. Welcome to the Task Podcast. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Matt, or good morning from my side of it. I'm, I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well. We're, um, obviously, I'm speaking to you out of Thailand today. We're, we're about to see you in the world. I'm up in sunny Lancashire in the northwest of England, looking out the window. Strangely, it is sunny. Um, has been for the last five minutes and hopefully will be for the next five minutes as well. But I'm not sure I can guarantee past there. Good old English weather. Well, it's good if, you, if it's sunny. Sunny morning in England, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you're coming into autumn. So hopefully it, hopefully it stays like that. Hopefully you get a good day. Um, so, yeah, look, great to have you on and, and really wanted to, um, you know, dig into the SDGs and ask a bit about, uh, you know, support the goals. I was thinking, actually, based on our audience, because often, you know, these acronyms get thrown around and, uh, you know, you make suggest you make assumptions. That everyone knows what you're talking about um, when you get into the dialogue. But I thought a nice place to start would just to, if you could just give a, you know, a quick brief on the SDGs. What are they? Because I know that people, some people on audience may not actually know the acronym although many people do and obviously you're surrounded by people who understand them each day and we're going to get into that but maybe as a starting point just just give a quick kind of brief on them um you know what the goals the sdgs are all about that's a fantastic place to start actually thanks matt and that's probably one of the biggest reasons why support the goals exists um i worked in the tech industry for donkey's years and we are surrounded by what we call tlas three-letter acronyms um and they don't help anybody you know, I, I personally detest the term SDGs because honestly, it sounds infectious. Uh, sounds like something you need to go and see a doctor about. But in short, they are the Sustainable Development Goals um, created by the United Nations, agreed by every world leader or 193 world leaders back in 2015, launched in February 2016. And the aim of these goals is to go and tackle poverty extreme inequality and climate change and a range of other related issues by 2030. Um, they're often called the global goals, which is name I prefer because I think even if you don't understand what the heck the sustainable development goals are and the latest polls show that 74% of people around the world don't know what these goals are. And in the UK, that's even worse. That's 87% don't know what they are. Then global goals at least sounds like something big and lofty that you should really get behind, which, uh, which is absolutely the case. Awesome. And support the goals. Um, you know, you're involved in a couple of different areas, but support the goals is what I want to focus on. Do you, you give us a brief on support the goals, what it is you guys do, um, you know, the, the, what you're doing in this day and age, how it relates to the goals. Yeah, sure. So support the goals exists primarily to raise awareness of the goals. So I'm from Blackpool in the northwest of the UK. Originally, I have what I call my Blackpool pub test which means that we've got to get to the stage where you can discuss this stuff down a pub in somewhere like Blackpool or wherever, and people not look at you like you've got two heads. 
you know, they actually understand what you're talking about. And as you say, you know, I'm surrounded by people who understand terms like the SDGs, but there is a risk of it becoming a talking shop. And this needs to be for the 99% of people who don't get these, not the 1% of people who do get them. So, you know, hence my Blackpool pub test. And support the goals really exist to go and raise awareness of the goals to try and get it to that level. Our focus is particularly on the business community. And what we want to try and do is turn businesses into flag flyers for the goals. Why? Because it's a great common language. If you ask 10 people what sustainability means, you'll get 10 different answers. Um, the goals is a good way to get everyone behind one common universal understanding of what it is we're trying to achieve and all these interconnected issues, if we can get people aware of them. Um, the way in which we try and raise that awareness is we research which companies are publicly communicating their support for the goals in a structured way. We give them a rating. It's nice, simple rating between naught and five stars, a bit like TripAdvisor, that kind of thing. And we give the companies that get a good rating some good recognition on there as well, because who doesn't love a shout out? Um, most important in terms of getting the scale is we research their supply chains for free, for no cost whatsoever. Because in my experience, cost is the biggest inhibitor of anything happening. So by getting their suppliers involved, then we get this massive exponential effect by talking to you know, large groups of people who want to do things to impress their customers. Awesome. I mean, it's yeah. I love your Blackpool um, pub test thing because actually, this is I think I think this is one benefit of the SDGs. They are they are easier because you know from my background, you know, going back I think ten or so years, having some involvement in CSR and indicators. I mean, you know, when you get down to the kind of GRI and CDP, and you know, you're getting right into the kind of techie area. It's not even techie, but it's just the acronym area that frankly no one would know in the pub unless they happen to be in that division of a business dinner but the sdgs they do have this very nice marketable aspect to them they're colorful they're they're the millennials i think um you know have picked them up very well and i is the millennial generation is, is that the kind of drive for that the millennials in below are you seeing a, a change i mean you've you've been around this stuff for a while are you seeing a lot more kind of support not necessarily just to the goals, but sustainability in general at a business level now, because you need to do the right thing. You're finding these younger generations are really, you know, flying the flag and, and making sure that people are accountable and things are be done, being done correctly. Hugely. Yeah, they make a tremendous amount of difference. And I think in two respects, I mean, I'm, I'm when, when lockdown isn't in force, I'm normally based at Lancaster Environment Centre at Lancaster University, and I'm surrounded by um, thousands of millennials. Um, and they find it somewhat baffling that people haven't heard of the sustainable development goals because to them, they've been brought up on this, particularly in the environment center. There's massive awareness of it in there as well as, you know, quite obviously. Um, and these folks have huge passion. How all the ones I speak to and support the goals is staffed by millennials. So all our research is done. We're technically a social enterprise. So all our research is done by young people. Um, and our secondary aim is to go and help those young people get decent employment. Because what we want to do is bridge the gap between these people over here who are really passionate about making a better world and these people here who aren't always quite sure how that should happen. You know, mm -hmm. and within businesses, they are keen to go and recruit millennials. They're keen to go and talk the language of millennials. They're keen to tackle the issues. And, and honestly, every single person in the business I've met wants to do some good, but they're just not always sure how to. So being able to go and take these bright young people and help them understand what businesses need to go and do and bridge that gap seems to be a, a good way to go and do it. But yeah, the 
the awareness of those sustainable development goals and sustainability more broadly uh, is very high amongst that generation, which is is wonderful because they're the future. Yeah, it's it's good to hear. And I, um, you know, interesting for me is that in the older days of CSR and sustainability, I say older, it's not that long ago, but, you know, when I was kind of first around those circles, there was always this, I think, somewhat misconception that, you know, it related to a cost, you know, to a business. And um, I didn't, you know, I didn't ask, I don't know whether you got any examples, we didn't kind of cover that before, but it, for me, there's profitability in this approach. It's not about, you know, having to do something that's going to hinder the business. Uh, you know, do you see that? Do you have any good examples of, of, you know, where really doing the right thing is a profitable decision? It's not just, you know, something you're doing to, to look good, but it can be good for the bottom line at the same time. You know, triple bottom line, you know, the reality of this process moving forward. Yeah, absolutely the case. I mean, the, I would struggle more to find examples of cases where that wasn't the case than ones where it is the case on there. So there are some more obvious ones, you know, such as energy reduction. You know, if you reduce the energy used in a business, then that reduces your bills and therefore that's a big saving. And it depends on the kind of business that is. If they just have an office with lighting, then it might save them a few, you know, pounds or dollars here and there. Um, if you're a big manufacturer or something like that, that can be some really big reductions in energy usage. But actually, I find the, the, the more interesting ones and the, the better success I see is the ones who increase their top line rather than just the bottom line on there. So there are so many examples of organizations out there where this is a competitive differentiator for them. So, you know, there, there are a few people who will go and buy off a company purely based on the fact they are better for the planet. But if in a business to business environment, if you've got two companies that are pitching the same thing, one of them is more environmentally friendly and the other one isn't, then it's pretty much no brainer. They will go for the more responsible company on that. And I, I can think of numerous organizations I've worked with who've won some very, very big sized deals on that. Um, and we're seeing as well, some of the companies doing the buying that are waiting sustainability as up to 20% of a tender's waiting response. So it's becoming taken a lot more seriously in procurement. So. And there's also countless studies out there as well that show that the companies that focus on sustainability and build it into the business produce far better returns for their investors than the ones who just purely focus on profits. Because, you know, if you're doing this, you've got a, you've got a wider view and you've got to focus on the long term rather than actually just to focus on short termism and making a quick buck. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, actually, you know, I keep talking millennials, but your first point there, I think just when you go and look at the research, I mean, it's staggering, actually, the the percentages of millennials who will, you know, make a decision to buy from a business based on um, their responsibility, their social contract, how they treat the planet. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. And actually, another story, can't use the names, but I was talking to someone uh, similar in a similar space where he was saying how one of his main partners, a legal firm, now measure risk with certain clients around this. So the client, the, the businesses that they work with, they're, in, um, they're a corporate lawyer. The businesses that aren't taking this seriously are graded at a far higher risk than you know, the ones that aren't. So definitely interesting to see how it's being looked at in that way within the business sector. Absolutely. And I think in the investment community in particular, um, and like you say, that risk aspect is a really key bit. So Without getting too techy, TCFD, which is the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, has done some really good work to go and help 
particularly accountants, and I think particularly the investment community to go and understand that if you are looking at risk within a business, it's not just the risk about, are they going to go pop tomorrow? It's the risk about, you know, hang on a moment, if the world's changing because of climate change, and if the world's changing because of all these other aspects related to climate change, then is that going to affect a business? You know, for ex it might be things like, are they built next to rivers, which might flood? But it might be, are they in an industry which there is every chance that there may be legislation to go and increase taxes on? Um, you know, and all these things hugely increase the risk. And I think the this TCFD framework, the idea of looking at the reputational and, you know, the legal risk, the operational risks associated with climate change is really helping a lot of people to go and think that, you know, okay, we need to look at the big picture rather than just the the single bottom line of, you know, pounds, shillings and pence. Yeah, for sure. It's um, I had this question for later on, but it, maybe it's a good segue into it. You know, in terms of what we've seen in the world this year, um, you know, I don't remember a kind of crazier year, honestly, in terms of, you know, just a personal level. Like, you know, it's just been, it's been not the year you ever could have predicted. And, um, you know, in terms of the business sector, it, it's, you know, unfortunately, obviously, certain sectors, hospitality, travel have been hammered and other sectors, particularly in certain tech spaces have done well, you know. Um, and, and we're going to go into 2021. I mean, this speaking to our mutual friend, um, uh, Gummersall on this, he was, you know, he said when I, when I was talking about this, he said, well, it's not really about a year. It's about the first year of the decade. This is, this is the change of 10 years. You know, how important do you see this stuff in a year like this year? Because it's, it's harder with some people, the, pe the, the people who aren't converted, it's much harder to have the conversations in a year like this year, whereas it seems the other way people are, you know, oh, we have to move faster. You know, I mean, a bit of a wide question, but how do you see the importance of all this, this stuff in a, in a year like 2020 and moving into 21, you know, in terms of business models, how we treat the planet, sustainability, all of this stuff? You know, this year has been amazing and not, not really in a good way, obviously. I don't think we want to repeat this one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, Gomazol is absolutely spot on. I mean, this is the... 20s, 20s, 2030s is what the UN call their decade of action or decade of delivery. And in the run up to 2030, this is the 10 years that matter. And, you know, heck, what a start to it. Um, and I think the human psychology behind all of this and the business psychology I found to be absolutely fascinating and incredibly mixed on it. So there are these uh, poor people in businesses out there, you know, who are really struggling because they are, uh, either being made redundant themselves or they're at risk of being made redundant or they're running a business and having to make the most incredibly tough decisions. And as you mentioned, you know, aviation, um, hospitality and areas like that, it's, it's so, so difficult for. But businesses, businesses aren't living, breathing, thinking entities. Businesses are basically a bunch of people. And I think all of us as human beings have been affected by this in completely different ways. So for those people who are having to make those decisions or have had decisions made for them, that's tough. But most people are now starting to look at life in a very different way since COVID. And lockdown was interesting. I mean, I, uh, I'm a big believer in human nature is wonderful. And when we're faced with a crisis, then we all band together and we all instinctively know what's right to go and do. We get distracted. But, you know, when we're faced with a crisis, we really kind of work together on that. And I think as soon as COVID hit and as soon as nations around the world went into lockdown, we all started to look at what's important. You know, what do we really need? And we have these fantastic tales of people dancing in the home and everyone kind of, you know, learning how to bake again. And, you know, and sales of the things that were less important dropped down, but sales of things that were really important, like food, went started going up again. 
And we, we kind of came together in this absolutely incredible way. And the, the human stories I was hearing all that time were more about, oh, you know, we've got to look at the world in a different way. Mm. Every single person, whether a chief executive or what the heck they were, they were like, you know, it's starting to make us realize what's more important about life. And we've got to, we've got to change afterwards. Um, so on one hand, there are those people within businesses that are saying we've got to, there's a phrase grown in the UK, build back better. So we've, we've got to kind of build back better. We've got to do this differently afterwards. Um, and I'm personally seeing more examples of businesses and people within businesses actually wanting to go and do more around being environmentally friendly and being socially responsible as a result of COVID. Um, it's been intriguing as well because climate change in particular is hard for people to get their head around because it's so gradual and because it's so ephemeral and it's such a big kind of concept. You know, it's, it's meteorology. It's not a topic that people generally get that excited about so it's been hard for them to grasp but all of a sudden i think as humanity is being faced with this existential threat of covid and a sort of silent killer that they can't go and see there seems to be more awareness of climate change as a result so i've seen lots of people going you know we need to tackle covid but we really need to tackle climate change as well because we don't want to recover from this and then go into another problem straight afterwards so somehow the issues we're facing that have been so, you know, species threatening seems to have helped us as a, as a species to get our head around climate change a little bit more. Maybe it's me being the permanent optimist, you know, but definitely there are some great examples out there of people I speak with regularly who are, you know, wanting to make some big differences and, uh, and, you know, actually investing in trying to make their businesses better and improve. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I think we align on being eternal optimists. I don't know whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it's certainly not a bad thing, but yeah, it's, I, um, yeah, I, th I think I agree with you on that. And interesting when you talk on the environmental stuff, the, you know, a lot of people who weren't thinking about it were faced, we didn't see this here, but you've certainly been faced with these situations where the air has changed because of the lockdown, the lack of flights. And, you know, that's a good thing, but it's, not only being a good thing, it also demonstrates to people in a real practical way what we're doing. And, you know, I think that, I mean, that, that was very early on, right, where you started to get this kind of media come out and, and photographs of, of cities and just you could see the difference. And, you know, that difference is not going to make long-term change or impact. But I think on a influence level, uh, for people who are not really thinking or it didn't take it seriously, you could, as an individual, see the impact humans make on the environment you know you could see because we're taken out of it for a short time i mean i think that silver lining to that situation is is really important you know hugely i, th I don't think anybody will forget those you know pictures of i forget which indian city it was but you know people waking up one morning and they could see the himalayas behind them that they've never seen before in a generation you know and uh the dolphins and the jellyfish in the canals of venice that have not been there for goodness yeah. knows how long because all the pollution has dropped out and those images do stick with people you know and, and they're hopeful they're, they do give people optimism we can change things yeah definitely um i had a sneak peek at your linkedin profile before because i wanted to work out how long you've been doing this stuff and i was um looking back it looks like you had a shift in your your career you know you come from a tech background like i do i mean i know dimension data well i you know they were my main business partner when i lived in sydney um, I think you were with them in the UK, right? But you, it looks like you had a kind of shift in 2011 going from, you know, maybe one part of the business into sustainability, obviously been in it uh, a good while now in different roles. What, was there a 
pivotal change? Was there any reason? Was it just something you've always been interested in? What was the, the career shift that took you in this direction and has now has you involved in a lot of different areas of it? There definitely was a bit of a pivotal point in that one. Uh, and it's, it's a good question because most of my career has been in tech and I've kind of, you know, wandered from job to job like most people through their career because you do one thing and you just go with the flow. Um, and I ended up working for Dimension Data in 2006, which, you know, anybody who's watching this that's not come across them, great company, um, headquartered in South Africa, about 32,000 people in different countries around the world, and now a subsidiary and actually branded as NTT, the parent company from Japan. Uh, and my role at that time was, you know, being based in the UK, um, and I was focused on convergence, so IP telephony. And in latter years, I was then focused on building a video conferencing business to try and persuade people to go and use video conferencing, which is kind of ironic given we are where we are now. Hmm. Um, and I think in that role, because most of Dimension Data's clients were you know, huge multinationals, I came across a few sustainability people and I, I, it's something I was interested in, but I wouldn't say I was you know, a huge kind of sustainability advocate. Um, wasn't that knowledgeable about it, to be honest with you. But I found it intriguing that within these companies, there'd generally be two or three individuals whose role it was to try and get this monolithic organization to think about more than just money. Um, and I found that, you know, intriguing. What an amazing job and what a tough job in some ways. But um, shout out to the folks at HSBC. So we spend a lot of time with, with HSBC Bank. Um, and they ran and still do run a sustainability leadership program where they took their top few percent of leadership out and took them literally out into the field. So out into woods, White and Woods in Oxfordshire um, and Borneo and Penai and uh, Chesapeake Bay and Maryland. And they had these various climate centers around the world and they'd take them out and get them involved in the field work. Um, mucky stuff, measuring the canopies of trees. Uh, and measuring the trunks of trees and submitting the data to local universities. And that helped them realize that, you know, there was real science behind this stuff. It wasn't political. And as a supplier to them, I got invited to come along on these as well. Uh, and it was great, you know, met some really good people and all chief executives of this huge business and all business leaders. And then what they do is they take these people and at the end of the day, they tell them about uh, climate change. They give them the scientific facts no spin, no emotions, no politics, just where everything's headed. And it was fascinating to watch all these people suddenly go from being quite bullish to incredibly depressed. Mm. Um, a number of people who went on that course quit and got a job in sustainability afterwards. You know, it was that revelationary. And then what they do was they build them back up and spend the next few days looking at psychologically how they started to get better. But also as they were in charge of huge departments and huge parts of the company, what that part of their business would do to go and improve things. And absolute revelation to me, you know, the people involved were fantastic on this. The change impact was just tremendous. Um, and I've been with Dimension Data for a while and I was getting itchy feet. So I was like, I'm, I'm gonna go and leave. And actually this stuff looks interesting. I might do something in this area. Um, and I was approached by a colleague of mine who said, well, we need a head of sustainability of Dimension Data. Why don't you go for that? Um, so I did. And I don't think anybody was more surprised than me when I got that role because I could barely spell sustainability. <laughs> um, I then spent five utterly fascinating years where basically I, I wrote my own job because I don't think they knew what they wanted me to do. And I don't think I knew what I wanted to do other than just make the company better. 
Um, so I spent a lot of time working a lot in South Africa, a lot in different countries around the world, learning how to make change happen, getting very frustrated and then getting very excited when you have breakthroughs. And anybody who works in sustainability will know that absolute roller coaster you go through in a big company to do this. Um, and I did that for five years and left in 2016. Um, really, and you know what I wanted to try and do was to take what I'd learned and share it with other people. So that's kind of brought me to where I am now. And, you know, and I think one of the key learnings I've had from all of this has been there's a lot of shouting from people in sustainability to say companies need to be better. You know, companies need to get on board. I've never yet a person met who isn't, I've never yet met a person who isn't on board with this. They just want somebody to tell them what to do. And mm. um, us folks in sustainability are really good at saying what people need to do, but not very good at telling them how to go and do it. So, and, and that was my interest. And 2016 was the year the goals came out. So I was like, this is what we want to do. You know, this is what we're all going towards. This is the common language. Now let's try and see if we can help people understand actually how we can go and achieve those goals rather than just ranting at them for not doing it. Really interesting what you're saying about, you know, you went into that job, people were no more surprised than you. And, you, you know, you end up writing your own job. I mean, that's changed massively now, right? That's, and that's not going back that far. You're going back nine years, but now I'm sure from what you do, you're walking around, you know, the, you're seeing, you know, sustainability roles being created, being defined. I mean, it has changed an awful lot in a, in a very short time, right. In terms of, of, you know, those roles within businesses being a necessity rather than, Hey, let's, let's just, you know, put the job there and, and, and write it and find out what it means. Yeah, though, you know, I mean, if we're going to take the optimist head off for a second, um, not fast enough. So we are seeing more of those roles. I think there is, particularly within the larger companies, there is an understanding that you need a sustainability manager, even though there isn't always an understanding of what that sustainability manager should do. Um, it's much better than it was. And I think there is a broader understanding. The investment community has helped terrifically, um, you know, Props to Larry Fink of BlackRock. I think everything he's done has really woken people up tremendously about the importance of environmental social governance or ESG, which is this year's buzzword. Um, but it's incredibly important. And I think people are now starting to go and understand that. But we do need to make sure that it's seen as something that's not just for the big boys. And it's not just the big companies that need to do this. Every company needs to go and do this. And it's not a question of having a person or setting up a department on this. It's a question of a, an approach to thinking you know, and actually making sure mm. you run your business and you run your mindset in a particular way that when you make a decision, you don't just think about how is this going to make money or how is this going to save money, but you actually think about the environmental and social impact as well. So there's, uh, uh, there's improvements that have been made, but much more needs to be done. I think it's, yeah, I completely agree. And it's, it's, um, I think it's an exciting time for that shift because you're right. The, when you say the big ones, I mean, you know, the, 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 the top end of the town, the big companies are all doing something. A lot of it, you know, it's all very public. There's this much bigger layer of organizations that sit underneath the, the, the Ebays and the PayPal's and the Googles of the world that, that actually, when you add those all together and you look at those bit, they're big companies still, but uh, nowhere near the Google size, but there are many more of them. And I, I feel that you, I'm certainly starting to see it in the conversations we have in the business. The adoption at that level is is starting to accelerate, and I think that you know is where it becomes important because the impact then is far increased on a global scale in terms terms of you know clawing back climate change and making a difference socially, environmentally. 
yeah, spot on. And that's, I mean, the, the research we do in support the goals, we we look at in the UK, the FTSE 100 and the FTSE 250 is the next 250 largest companies listed in the UK. And the gulf between the FTSE 100 and FTSE 250 in terms of how they report, at least on the sustainable development goals, is vast. You know, so there are way more companies have four stars in our rating system than have no stars in our rating system in the FTSE 100, which is terrific. You know, but three years ago, 0% of the FTSE 250 had four stars in our rating system. It's improved. It's 12% now. But, you know, 12% of 250 still means there's 88% of people are really not setting plans, commitments, actions and progress. And, and actually, that's why our focus is on supply chains, because what we want to do is work with those companies and then help them to go to the next tier down, you know, and spread the word throughout their suppliers and in turn their supplier suppliers and their supplier suppliers, suppliers, etc. Just so that way we can raise that awareness and leverage that purchasing power to be able to go and persuade people to do something. So you get your network effect, which is what's needed and, and far bigger reach. Um, exactly. A final question, a final question is just to touch on something you kind of said there and something you said earlier. Uh, you know, if there's someone listening, um, it could be an individual, but maybe let's assume it's someone running one of those businesses or working for one of those businesses and is in that mindset of, like you say, it's amazing. There's very few people who say they don't want to do something. It's the how. You know, you got someone listening and they're, they're going, hey, you know, this all sounds great. What next? You know, what's the advice you give to a, to a business that's starting to think about this stuff that maybe has seen the colorful SDGs, thinks about the environment, wants to do the right thing? hasn't really focused on it as a business agenda and a strategy that's part of the business. What's your, what's your, your, what's your advice to one of those people, um, someone in, in that role, you know, what next? Those colorful goals are a good starting point, you know, and the, the advice I always give is that they can be a bit overwhelming at first, you know, global goals. And if you're not a global company, that might first of all sound a little bit off-putting. There's 17 of them and most people go climate action. Yay. Poverty, yay, peace, justice, and strong institutions. What? You know, and it, it kind of the relevance of all those goals is a little bit mixed. So take the time, and it doesn't take a huge amount of time. Take a bit of time to go and look at each of those goals. There's 169 targets live below them, and people don't have to know those in detail, but at least glance at them to understand what those goals are aiming towards. And then look at which those goals are most relevant to their business, because there will be some of them that are aligned to not from a sustainability stroke CSR point of view, but actually what their business is doing. If you're a food business, responsible consumption and production is very much what you're about. So look at that, look at the targets below that one and think, okay, how can you contribute to that goal? You know, and honestly, just the process of starting thinking that way will generate some really good ideas. And once you've actually started to go, okay, well, I feel that's relevant to me, then be bold, then look at making some commitments. So... If you feel that responsible consumption and production is something you can do about, or you can do something about, then decide what you're going to go and do about it. Set a target, you know, and start working towards that one and get people on board with it. And once you've done that, things start to really happen quite quickly. Awesome. Cheers. Good advice, Colin. And I'm sure that's going to help some people. So one final thing, how do people find out more about you? Where's the best place to go? If they want to, you know, learn about the work you do, maybe get in contact. Um, yeah, do you want to just share share some of that detail for the for the audience? Fantastic. Yeah, that'd be great. So supportthegoals.org is the website. You can go on there. You can click on stories and read stories of what companies are doing. Most importantly, you can click on businesses and you get a lovely map of 
what businesses are doing around the world. You can drill down and see which businesses are supporting what goals. So there's free, free research and benchmarking there is a good place to start. But the most important thing is click on join. So supportthegoals.org slash join or just click on the big join button. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to go and join at the starter level and you'll get some advice on how's your business doing? How do you benchmark against others? What are the goals? What should you be doing about them? And that way you can start your journey off from there for, for absolutely nothing. Brilliant. Look, appreciate your time and um, looking forward to continuing to learn about the work you do and, and partnering on some stuff. And yeah, we shall no doubt speak again soon. So have a, have a great evening. Thanks for, for giving you know, your time and your knowledge for the podcast. Really appreciate it. Well, no problem with my time. I don't think I have that much knowledge, but it's been an absolute pleasure to chat. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I get over there one day and we can have a, a chat inside. What, what was the pub, uh, the pub in where was it, where you, you use as your benchmark for straightforward uh, conversation? Pub test. I mean, I'm not sure the there's Blackpool that many pubs pub I'd test. recommend in Blackpool, but yeah, <laughs> uh, go find somewhere. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do it somewhere else in the country. All right, sounds good, mate. Have a, have a great rest of your day. <laughs> thank you. Have a good evening, Matt. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.